0: Seconds, the station will the test
1: of the emergency system. This is only a test.
0: but it's good to get together you know it's kind of what Thanksgiving yeah. is all about so did you get to work your syphilis joke in this year <laughs> this
1: is a test of the emergency broadcast system
0: Mr Levicari. <coughs> zero
1: point zero. <muchhing> the broadcasters of your area
0: in voluntary cooperation with the FCC. authorities have developed a system to keep you informed in the event of an emergency. God did not bless me with the gift of speech. To step in an actual emergency, you would have been instructed where to tune in your area for news and official information. This concludes this test of the emergency broadcast
1: system.
0: Syracuse! I'm Sanders, and he's Liv, and we are two sorry excuses. liveroo
1: what's up sam man how are you all right how are you
0: very good how was your thanksgiving
1: it was pretty good you know pretty low-key you know chill ate a lot had a lot of myself time in the days following which was nice
0: you're thankful for your live time
1: yep yeah, yeah definitely thankful for the live time and not having uh to work for a few days. That was nice. Nice. It seems like it goes by so quick.
0: It always does, man. It always does. Yep. Yep.
1: It's
0: just fleeting. How um, about yourself? It was good. It was good. I, um... You know, we, we head up to the Poconos. Uh, my parents yeah. have a house up there, so the whole family gets together, and it's like uh, a traveling three-ring circus with, you know, all the little kids, and my sister comes into town with her fiancé, and um, both my brothers have... Um, have kids ranging from six to uh, six months so it's good it's fun it, it's there's a lot going on um, but it's good to get together you know it's kind of what thanksgiving yeah. is all about so did you get to work your syphilis joke in this year <laughs> no i didn't my brother ended up taking off a little early so i didn't have the full complement of players uh together but i think um what we'll try to do is we'll try to reprise it for a, uh, it's a it's a very Charlie Brown Christmas, yeah. and I'll see what I can do, uh, you know, come <laughs> Yuletide.
1: Yeah, nice. I can not um, help but think when you tell me you were going to Poconos, that old um, sketch from like the late 80s on SNL was solid gold, sold out solid gold or whatever, and it was supposed to be all the rock songs, all the rock bands that had sold out to uh, the commercialization, it was. Uh, we gotta get out of this place and go to the Poconos.
0: <laughs> all right, now I know what you're talking about. I was wondering where the hell you were going. <laughs> it's like, all right, I'll go for the ride. We'll see where we end up. You know, no big deal. We got plenty of time to kill. Yeah. Um, spe- speaking of time to kill, we, um, I know we were chatting a little earlier today, and um, you know, I think I, I like our idea of. Uh, a, an ambitious undertaking of possibly uh, splitting this episode into a part one and part two because in in, in, in running down the list of, of things that we really need to cover, um, I don't know if we can get this in in a reasonable amount of time. So we'll, we'll see where it goes. But, um, you know, we've got that huge BC win um, yep. th- this weekend for the football team. We have the tail end of the Maui Invitational. Uh, We have the start of the uh, ACC Big Ten uh, showdown. Um, We've got bowl considerations uh, to discuss. And really with nothing else coming up this week, um, we have a Binghamton game on Saturday. Yep. So between now and the St. John's game on the 15th, uh it's going to be you know we'd be treading lightly in terms of meaningful conversation anyway so uh we'll, we'll see how it goes um and and maybe we will uh we'll treat those 40 or so faithful that download our show weekly to a uh, to a classic two-parter.
1: Oh, we up to 40 or are you just being
0: uh cocky? No, no. No, we we have um uh consistently 40 strong. Um nice. we've actually picked up a few uh a few downloads in week four i guess um i guess a sexy sparta thanksgiving was was too much for people to turn down so um we're, we're rolling man i, I think our um uh, two sorry excuses army is rolling 42 deep at last count <laughs> I two sorry excuses army we? nice. so we'll see how it goes but before we jump into that um uh, I wanna sh- send out a few uh a few thank yous and, and, and shout outs. Um last let's see, last Wednesday? What was the day before Thanksgiving, the twenty seventh? Uh yes. It was my birthday. I uh I celebrated the big four. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah. I missed that. I'm sorry, man. Happy birthday. Well thank you. And and you didn't miss it on accident. It it's not uh, you know something that I was making a, that big of a deal of like um, you know I very rarely uh, interact on Facebook um, so I didn't set my birthday um, you know a couple of the guys have it in their calendars because I'm the only one um, who has a a birthday that fell during the school year so yeah. we would you know we we would celebrate it and it, it falls around Thanksgiving so it's kind of an easy birthday to remember and um, I'd always kind of made a big deal about it. Um, we were at school. I was the first one to turn 21. It was always, you know, either on the tail end or on the front end of a break. So it was a very conducive birthday to celebrate. And, uh, you know, as I got older, I still liked the revelry and, and, you know, I enjoyed it. And usually I would go up to, um, you know, go up to Boston or make a trip somewhere. And it was always, you know a dual celebration just being in town as well as happening you know to be around my birthday but um you know I, I didn't shy away from from celebrating I just um you know the 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 participants had few you know were fewer and far between as you know once I moved back to Jersey and then you know I got married and Anne threw me a killer birthday party for I think my maybe my 35th um she invited a ton of people. We lived in a small um, little apartment. The, the the apartment that you visited. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're like two blocks from the beach, and um, she invited over about fifteen or twenty people. We played touch football uh, on the beach. You know, it was really awesome, and I was like, man, this is this is going to be really cool. Uh, then the next year, she ended up throwing a little uh, a little party for me, and I think she and I were the only ones who ended up attending. And it was, you know, it's kind of embarrassing. So I said, hey, yeah, you know, and how how about we, you know, kind of, you know, go low-key on the birthday celebration from, from now on. So, um, you know, I've just been kind of under the radar and, you know, been spending Thanksgivings in the Poconos. So, you know, we have a little cake up there and no big deal. But uh, a few favorites shouted out um, my birthday. Uh, Matt Soap put together a, a top ten list. Um, which he ended up posting on Facebook for for a bunch of folks to to see so um, I got a good chuckle out of that and uh, two sorry excuses um, stalwart Liz Stillman sent yeah. me a little birthday love uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Colleen Kilkelly of the of the infamous Roxbury Kilkellys. Um I don't you know, um, do you know um, Pat Kelly? Yeah, I worked with Pat Kelly at Fagans. Did you know Colleen? He and Colleen are cousins.
1: Um, she I, was. I mean, I I knew of her legend.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what it is—an absolute legend. Not only was she one of the best-looking uh, people that um, that I knew in college, she was also one of the sweetest and the absolute coolest. Um, And, you know, because we worked together, she was a cocktail waitress. I don't even know, does Fagans have cocktail waitresses anymore?
1: Uh, I couldn't tell you. They had
0: them when I was there. Yeah. And it seems, you know, at the time it seemed so normal. But in in looking back, you know, as a a 40-year-old man approaching middle age, the thought of a cocktail waitress in a college bar seems so bourgeois, you know? Yeah,
1: there's not too many uh, college bars full of cocktail waitresses running around serving you off a tray. I but, didn't even have them do the flip night, which I found weird.
0: Yeah, and, you know, they must have made pretty good money because, you know, there were enough of them uh, that they kept, you know, they kept them on and, and you know, they they must have done pretty good business with them. But um, Colleen was a cocktail waitress for, for a long time and she was super cool and she was just a real sweetheart. Um, so much so to the point where um, she invited me to um, – to participate in, uh, I don't know, Alpha Phi had a date auction or uh, something along those lines where they, they auctioned off uh, eligible SU bachelors. Yeah. And they held it right there on, on Walnut Park. And, you know, it was a big sorority uh, fraternity function. But, you know, for some reason she had invited me and um, but I had enough friends and, and um, you know, acquaintances in that. In that circle that you know it made sense at that point. Um, you know, I think I was doing the top 10 list and DJing at Fagan, so uh, if anything, it was a bit of a, a loose connection, but a connection nonetheless. And um, so, I was so excited to, to be in the date auction that Brian Peters and I hauled ass all the way from Alexandria Bay where we were DJing a Gamma Phi Beta formal. Uh, and like they would give okay. us a room and so he when and I was got was
1: this formal that y'all were DJ?
0: W- what was that? When was this? Oh, I was probably marchish like a spring formal maybe our senior year. All right, cuz it that kind of goes into a story I was thinking about, but go on. So so we end up getting wasted with uh, it, it must have been the Gamma Phi Beta formal. Um they put us up in a room and Brian and I had a hot tub and and You know, we just really kicked it up on their dime. And we hauled ass in the Crown Vic all the way back from Alexandria Bay just in time to to make my uh, time slot. And um, I got up there and maybe I did a top 10 list and, you know, jumped through some hoops and, you know, did some kind of trained monkey kind of thing for my talent. And um, I ended up getting bid on and won. By Colleen Kilkelly. Oh, nice. And I was like, that's it. I've done it. I've reached prime time. This is Mm -hmm. it. This is my coming out party, man. Colleen Kilkelly had paid to go on a date with me. (laughs) So I go home and I'm I'm pretty psyched. And, um, you know, the guys are kind of sitting around on a Saturday morning. And I go, guys, you'll never believe what happened. And I go through the whole story and I... You know, I trumpet the fact that Colleen Kilkelly purchased my services and, you know, everybody gets a good chuckle out of it. And Cuddy, without missing a beat, goes, uh, you know, she was a ringer. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, uh, they give the seniors uh, fake money to bid on people who, um, you know, who they don't think is, are going to get bid on. Uh, <laughs> and they don't want to embarrass anybody. So, you know, they make sure that they, you know, bid some nominal fee. Uh, to make sure it looks like it's all legit. Um yeah, you you um you were a charity case. She she just bit on you because, you know, no one else would. And that was it, man. One felt swoop, he popped my balloon.
1: Yeah, well, that's cutty for you. <laughs> <laughs> there to take the wind out of your sails, man. Bring you back down to earth.
0: Any chance of glory. Uh he he just pulled the plug and it all went down the drain and that was it, man. I said, that's no more date auctions for me. That's, that was the last date auction that, that I went on, depriving many, many women the opportunity to pay good, hard money to, to go on a faux date with me. Or
1: even fake money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man. So I wanted to get that in and, and, you know, say thank you for all the birthday wishes. And even though I was not, uh, I was not soliciting them or, or expecting them... Um, but it was nice to get them nonetheless. So um, so it was a nice, nice uh, way to round out a birthday slash Thanksgiving weekend, getting back in touch with a few folks like that. Yeah, that's nice. Um, bring it all back home. home. We are going to bring it all back home, man. We are going to bring it all back home. Um, oh, What do you want to cover first? Um, we got a bunch of stuff that we can talk about, but uh, uh, I really, really need to make sure we get in the Mark a sighting.
1: Yes, the Mark Teixeira sighting. I know we need to talk about that, but that might be best if we talk about that later on because that could take up all day.
0: Uh, it really could take up all day. All right, let, let's make sure we pin that up so we get to that. Um, you picked the poison, man. We got football.
1: Well, you- when you were talking about that, um, well, I just want to say one story. When you were yeah. talking about that formal, you were coming back from with BP. Uh huh. That was your senior year, I imagine. Yeah, so it was
0: spring '96.
1: Yes. Um, all right. Before I moved in with BP and those guys, I really didn't know BP all that well.
0: You know. Yeah, that's funny. I always because you guys are thick as thieves, and and yeah. Um, you know, any time that I get to see or hang out with you uh, in and around the Boston area, you know, you're with BP and Carla and, and, you know, that's just kind of how it goes. But I didn't realize even until these last couple weeks when we've been chatting about, um, you know, various 1106 stories or, or SU stories that you and BP, um, you know, didn't get tight until much later.
1: Yeah. Well, like he, and even when I moved in, you know, he was in Europe that first semester. Oh, that's right. He went abroad. But then when he came back, you know, we hung out and we just hit it off, you know? Yeah. So it wasn't until you were in you, 11 um, were 6? I, mean, I knew Six? him. I hung out with him. But it wasn't like... We weren't, like, buddies. You know? Like, we knew each other. We were... He he knew me. I knew him. I was I was more buddies with um, Fredo. You remember Alfredo? Yeah, of course. Okay. So this is a good story. I mean, hell, this is... That's when I... You know? And I... And I had befriended Goldberg, too, because I was friends with Fredo, because I'd met him the summer before, and then I'd go in and I'd hung out with, uh, I guess I'd hung out with Goldberg before or something, or i met him, and then we had a class like that, um, the Creative Writing 2 class or whatever you had to take in the sophomore year.
0: Yeah.
1: And Goldberg was in that class with me, and we, you know, and we started hanging out all the time. But that might have been second semester. But um so the story goes I thought this was late fall I definitely know Brian was at a formal that DJ in a formal I thought it was late fall um but I don't know I could be wrong Whatever the case is Yeah So Fred what's that Yeah it it could have it could have been a function in late fall uh, I, I mean, seen... I'm not saying that your function was in the spring but I'm saying I
0: think I mean, you, you did that commonly, right? Yeah, yeah. That's he. <laughs> I inherited the gig from Little Coopy, and Little Coopy was DJing at Fagans, and and you know he was tight with a bunch of sorority girls, and he would just simply contract out uh, a sound system uh, from a local sound guy, and and he would DJ, and he would kick me, you know, fifty bucks or a hundred bucks to just kind of go along with them, help haul equipment, et cetera, et cetera. So when he left, he kind of passed the business on to me. Uh, and the only person I knew who had a car was were Brian and Mike Peters. Yeah. And um, Brian was like the perfect uh, sidekick. So, you know, he and I did at least a dozen of those for a couple years uh, between, you know, his, his freshman, sophomore year, and my junior senior years.
1: Yeah, of course. So um so with that background this leads into this story. So I go to hang out with Fredo one night, you know, I think it might have been it must have been a Saturday or whatever. You know, I go meet him up at the mount and I get there and Fredo was like, you know, he was a madman. You know, the guy drank like you know, like he had two hollow legs. <laughs> <laughs> and he pulls out, you know, he had like a bottle of, I think it was Bacardi Limon or something. And he also had a bottle of Chivas. And he puts the bottle of Chivas in front of me. And he's like, you're drinking this. You know? And um, so he, I'm hanging out with him in the dorm room because they were living up on the mound again, even as sophomores.
0: Where were you living?
1: I was living on South Campus at the time. Okay. Uh, because... You know what happened? Our freshman year, it was a real crush to get into dorms because I think they were shutting down that Grover Cleveland dorm or whatever it was. Yeah,
0: yep. yep. So there was
1: like a big crunch on it. I didn't want to be on South Campus, but I but my number was too bad, you know?
0: Yeah, oh, the old I, housing Florida lottery. I had
1: even a worse number. Yeah. So anyway, um, so I go to hang out with him. Well... You know, we're drinking beers, and he, and he keeps making me throw back shots. You know, like like it's just very conversational, very casual. Like, you know, just bullshitting. Like, all right, time for another shot, and we toss them out, and then and we finish the bottles. And they're like, "Well, we got to go out. And we're friggin', we had no reason to be out at that point." I remember we go down to Fagans, and Casey Paul was working there. You remember Casey? Absolutely. Uh, for the brief period he was working there, before it was determined that he couldn't work there anymore for NCAA compliance for <laughs> reasons, and um, I don't know who was behind the bar, man. Uh, I, I'm trying to think. Whatever cases, you know, <laughs> we were friendly with them and everything. They served us
0: one drink and cut us off. Well, for those of the of the 42 faithful that might not know Fredo, you got to paint. Uh, a little theater of the mind for for those folks.
1: Well, okay, Fredo was this. He was this guy. He was from El Salvador, but he was from like a wealthy El Salvadoran family. You know, he, yeah, you know, he was like European roots basically.
0: Yeah, and if not diplomats, like high end land yeah. and business well, his, owners, right? His
1: parents' business was in agriculture, like right. mass agriculture. Like they, I remember, he told me they. Uh, Green Giant was the big uh, client. You know, like, ho, 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 Green Giant. Oh,
0: uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like frozen vegetable kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah, okay. Like,
1: that's, what, that's what he did. And also, I remember, about because they were very, since they were very high up in that country, you know, like they had connections to all that type of stuff, his fake ID was like an official, <laughs> an
0: official El Salvador,
1: <laughs> right. like national ID or whatever.
0: Right. Because, um, and it was also the drinking age, in El Salvador he he was of age in El Salvador yeah i, mean, so, I think of age in El Salvador is like 12 so <laughs> which explains a lot once you get to yeah. you know his physical appearance and and drunken demeanor so go ahead yeah, sorry i
1: thought he was very suave you know like he like he wasn't suave at all but he thought he was like this ladies man slick back hair he yeah uh, he always had the hair slicked back but he'd always end up with a big old stain from whatever he was
0: drinking on his shirt. He was uh he was the 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 kind of guy and and I belonged to that fraternity as well. Um and I, and I think you would skew in that direction at least at the time while you were up at Syracuse that it was always it it, it was always proper attire to be wearing a short sleeve shirt because <laughs> you tended to sweat in close proximity yep. to people so in the dead of winter you'd be out in a you know in a short sleeve three button polo shirt or, or something yeah. of that ilk and, and that was Fredo. and yep. uh, the the stain on his shirt might as well have been his his signature because every time I picture him I picture him with the slick back hair and a humongous stain on his shirt.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's just how we rolled. Another distinctive thing about Fredo was his stutter. He had a bad stutter. He used to call me Maddie, and that's a very hard thing for a stutterer to say. He'd be like, Maddie You know. And he'd like to say let's go boozing,
0: but of course that would be let's go boo 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 booze. My my favorite uh my favorite uh, my a catchphrase that he had, um, because at that point, you know, um, we were seniors, by the time we started to, to, by the time Brian really started to take, uh, you know, started to bring you guys by, and like really yeah. just become, you know, regulars in terms of, hey, you guys want to go out, you know, let's hang out, um, you know, it was, it was second semester-ish,
1: yeah. you
0: know, senior year, your your sophomore year, yeah. um, so... We had nothing to do but go out, so there there was a pretty good chance that, you know, we were looking for somebody to go out with, and we'd be out with you guys a good number of times, and I'd be hanging out with Fredo at the at the bar, and we'd be hanging out chatting mm-hmm. to, you know, the Colleen Kilkellys of the world, and Fredo would be spitting game with yeah. his, you know, yeah. with his Bacardi Limon.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: And his, you know, his big stain on his shirt, and <laughs> and the drunker he got, the worse his stutter was. Yeah. And, and a lot of times it's the opposite. A lot of times people who have, um, you know, some type of infliction, um, to it, it tends to get better. You know, when you have alcohol and and yeah. you know you you're not as nervous and you loosen up. He was the opposite. He got he he got worse and uh, he was talking to. So let's just say, you know, a cocktail waitress. And he started to to stutter and he stops, composes himself and says with a straight face, God did not bless me with the gift of (laughs) speech.
1: Uh, the big mystery, I love Fredo. The the big mystery of Fredo always was did he stutter in Spanish? Because he was a that was his first language was Spanish. Right, right, but you know, always was, always question, does he stutter in Spanish? But
0: um I know there was an answer for it, but I don't know what the answer is. But he was so he was so suave in his own mind that like that didn't phase him, you know, like yeah. that did not proved to be a hindrance to him at all he just continued to kick game and and move on like that was the most normal thing you could do was try to pick up a girl with a with a conversation hindering stutter <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well i don't know what the deal is because he married a beautiful woman unbelievable he's got a couple beautiful kids yep
0: yeah, oh, it's great, man. Is he back down in El Salvador?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, he's back down there. I remember the legend of Fredo was that his brother dated a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. Because <laughs> he had an older brother that went to TCU, and then also
0: the, a story
1: was that Fredo wasn't accepted to TCU because they knew his brother. <laughs>
0: Uh, TCU is not a big school, but it's still a pretty major university. Yeah, you know it's it's no Ohio State, that's for sure. But no. to make a name for yourself, or at least make a name for your family,
1: yeah, uh, that, like all right, we've dealt with your brother; we're not <laughs> dealing with you.
0: I gotta say that's pretty impressive.
1: <laughs> so I mean, so his brother, who I never met, had this huge legend following him. Uh, the guy who. The guy who was so notorious that they would not accept his brother into the school. And he also dated a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. <laughs> I mean, that's good enough right there. Uh, well, back to the story for yeah. us. Yeah, you know, go I, I remember we are going to go take that bus there, that little bus from the Mount that used to bring you down to, like, Marshall Street or whatever. Okay. And we took that down there. On the way, we were running to catch the bus. I remember my foot got in a, pot, in a hole or something. Uh, next day I was limping around, but I was too drunk to notice it at the time. Uh, but we go into Fagin's. I remember we ordered around and we're bringing it over and we had three drinks in our hands. Cause we're like, we'll get Casey a drink. And, <laughs> he was then, working. Uh, like, he's like, no, no, I can't drink. But like, we're so drunk. We couldn't tell, you know, I'm trying to hand one drink off to him. Or whatever, and the third drink went unaccounted for and smashed on the ground. <laughs> I mean, this is all the fogginess stuff, you know, this is one of the, some of the last things I remember from that night. And they were like, All right, you guys are cut off.
0: Smooth. So we Smooth. went across
1: the street to Darwin's and they
0: let us right in. You know, was... How did you how did you get in? Did you have the Jay Bailey ID yeah, at the point? Yeah, that was Jay Bailey. Okay. And Fredo's rocking a, a government issue ID, so
1: Yeah, Fredo was rocking his official El Salvadoran diplomat's license or whatever it was. It was something like that. Like, it wasn't a passport. It was a national ID.
0: Did you get into Fagans a lot as a sophomore? I mean, I was able to
1: get in there when I went, you know? Yeah. Like, it, I generally had no problem getting in with that ID because it was, cause it seemed to be the big deal
0: was they just wanted to see a real ID. And a lot of times, if, you, if the door guy knew Jay Bailey... Yeah. It could go one of two ways, but if you if you, you know, if you gave a passable story as to how you would have, you know, acquired it and, you know, didn't steal it or whatever, they would assume that you were friends with Jay Bailey or you know, whatever and kind of usher you in. So, yeah. That's that's totally plausible. That makes makes sense. So, Yeah, it's plausible deniability. But uh <laughs> dropping dropping unaccounted for cocktails doesn't yeah. matter whose ID and you have. That's not going to save you. I remember that.
1: It was like one of those rocks glasses, and it just went smashing on the ground. They're like, all right, you guys got to go. <laughs> yeah. And that was, we were in there for about five minutes.
0: Mike Reardon looked at you with uh, disparaging. Mike
1: Reardon might have been there that night.
0: He might have been behind the bar.
1: Yeah, I think, I, I think it was Mike Reardon behind the bar. Think of, he didn't know who the hell I was at the time.
0: <laughs> well, that wouldn't have stopped him from giving you a sideways glance. Yeah. <laughs> a furrowed brow, <laughs> a look of disdain. <laughs> but uh,
1: the funny thing is, uh, and then apparently we ended up at Maggie's. You know, I don't remember all that. So, this is the thing. Like, um, we get home, whatever. I wake up the next morning. I have no clue what the hell happened to me. I'm in, I'm in Brian Peters's bed.
0: Up at up at the mount. Alright, how do you get Okay, those are two places I never understood how you got back home to as a uh you know, as a as a student. South campus or, or the mount. How'd you get back from the from Marshall Street at two o'clock in the morning?
1: Well, I'll tell you how we got back this night. Uh it it you'll you'll learn in this story. So I wake up and there's vomit everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> on the curtains, right there, and on the sheets.
0: Who was BP's roommate?
1: Goldberg. Yeah, and, uh, and yeah, Fredo lived with BP. Oh,
0: Fredo lived with BP. Okay. Yeah,
1: Fredo lived with BP. So, so I'm like, holy fuck, what the hell happened to me? And I get up and I walk to the other side of the room and I'm like, I wake Fredo up, and I'm like, Fredo, what the hell happened? And he starts telling me a story. He's like, yeah, and I think we were at Maggie's. And you remember, like, there was, like, a parking lot across the street from Maggie's? Yes. There was, like, just an empty parking yep. lot. He's like, he's like, you know, we left, and he's like, uh, and uh, then I sat down. He's saying, then I sat down in the parking lot, and you were talking to me. I had puked on myself. He's like, yeah, you were completely fine. I don't remember any of this. You know, he's like, and then a cop came by, and she... Asked us for our IDs.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, no way.
1: I was like, "Wait!" A cop came by and asked us for an ID. I pull out my wallet, looking. I'm like, "Oh, I still got my fake ID in here." So that was per- that was a score. He's like, "Yeah." And then um, she drove us back to back to Mount Olympus, and he's like, "And you were in the back of the car, the cop car." She was playing the radio, and I started singing or something. And then like I was stuck in the back of the car, like. I was all messed up, and they couldn't
0: get me out of the cop car. Wait, was it a was it a, like a public safety officer, or was it like... I think it was a Syracuse PD. No way. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, they, so they picked our asses up and brought us back to Mount Olympus. It was a female officer, which is why she was probably nice to us.
0: I don't know. It, it, it my experience with the with the SUPD or the the Syracuse City of Syracuse yeah. police department is also positive. So they could they could just been cool. And you know, if your beat was the hit, you know
1: Yeah. What, what did you have to worry about? Be a little cool to be dealing with drunk kids.
0: We one night we were walking down the we were freshmen and and we wanted a like a chair for our dorm room. So we stole a Barka lounger off a of, uh, off a porch, of, yeah. You know, one of the houses off campus, like down on Comstock or whatever. And we're marching down. You um, could have four of us with a, like a love seat or a barca lounger. And a cop pulls up and says, uh, "You know, where are you guys going?" I said, uh, "You know, we're back back to our dorm." I'm like, "Well, where'd you get the chair?" And we're like, "Oh, we found it." <laughs> and they just, you know, kind of laughed and, and kind of rolled on, like. We got a hundred better things to do than bust your balls for stealing a moldy old lounger from somebody's port. So
1: exactly, if you arrested everybody for every
0: pickyoon crime, you know, it would never end. Yeah, so so I buy the fact that you got a door to door escort from a, In my mind now, the, the, in in the story, it's a hot Syracuse cop
1: yeah well, I do remember there was a hot Syracuse cop I used to see around. There used to be this blonde one, but I have no clue whether that was her, but for the purpose of the story short, sure, it was. Um, so we get so uh they brought us back in there and I guess we got I guess Fredo got ridden up for us being drunk uh, but uh, so that's how we ended up there, you know, but of course. He's like, yeah, you were completely fine. I'm like, eh, kind of vomited everywhere. So, even on my clothes. <laughs> so, so, Fredo lends me a pair of pants and like a t shirt. And I'm like, all right, where's the. Uh, I go down to the laundry room and I wash everything, you know? And uh, this takes a couple hours, you know, wash it and dry everything. And I scrub down the curtains, clean the wall up, everything. And, uh,. I get back up to the room, make the bed, put my cl- now clean clothes back on. And right when I finish making the bed, I'm like, well, i got to go use the bathroom. I walk out, and as I'm walking down the hall, Brian comes walking past me. Oh, uh, no way. And he's, just like, he's just like, hey, what's up, man? I'm like, hey, dude. And I'm like, I can never freaking tell him about what I did. <laughs> so then it was about a year later. You know, once we once he moved back in from coming back from Europe when we were back in 1106, one night I finally spilled the beans to him. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but he couldn't really be pissed at me anymore because he didn't have to sleep in that bed anymore.
0: And you clean the curtains.
1: Yeah, but <laughs> it was like it was like I move. It was like Ferris Bueller, right as I made the bed, <laughs> he comes walking back up and. It, and he was out with you DJing a formal that night. Uh, all right. I was going to say, where was
0: he? Well, that makes yeah, that's total really sense.
1: To that. He had just gotten back. It was probably like oh, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning or something. Yeah,
0: it comes full circle. It's like Lion yeah, King. Like
1: I can never tell that kid. I vomited all over his bed.
0: <laughs> Cir- circle of life, man.
1: Yeah, so it's pretty. So then, once we were comfortable enough, where we were better friends, I was like, "All right, I can, I can tell him about the time I vomited all over his bed."
0: <laughs> uh, you're a good man, Liv. Yeah. You're a good man.
1: <laughs> so that was pretty. Uh, that was that was a pretty wild tale. Little did I know at that time that we would become best friends and live together for like six years of our lives.
0: Hey, speaking of um, uh, of of living and 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 dorms, um, you dropped a little knowledge on me earlier. Uh, today. About the new chancellor? Yeah. What? It, just get me up to speed because I have no idea.
1: All right. Well, this new chancellor, Kent Severude, is taking over. I believe his official start date is January thirteenth, and he's um, so. While he's up there, right now, before he officially starts, uh, he is living in a first-floor apartment in BB, Brewster Bowl, and I guess it must be one of those places they set aside for those people that run the dorm.
0: Oh, okay, like, right, okay, like the dorm director, residence yeah, hall director. Yeah, yeah.
1: So um, he's going to be moving to the... Uh, He's gonna be moving to the chancellor's house, actually, on uh, Comstock, which is kind of odd because I know when we were there, Buzz Shaw only used that place for receptions. Meanwhile, he was living out in. Um... Meanwhile, he was actually living in Manlius, I think. But, uh... but yeah, he's he's living in in Brewster Boland. But just late... I mean, I lived on Brew Three. You lived on Brew One, right?
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, I just wonder if he's discovered Abdo's yet. Well, I, that's what I was just going to say. I wonder if he if he scores his Milwaukee's best.
1: Yeah, gets his suitcases, walks down with a backpack and has somebody <laughs> hold open that door for him.
0: Come in with a perfectly square backpack yeah. <laughs> with no room for anything else. But yet, nobody knew what you were up to. <laughs> It's freaking awesome. You know, it's like, I don't know if that would inhibit
1: your behavior if you knew that you might be passing the chancellor. You know, when you're like an 18-year-old kid just getting hammered. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking all this stupid crap that went on when I was
0: a freshman. Yeah, that was the year we we stole the Barka lounger. We marched it in. Nobody asked us a single question. Then we ran into an RA. He tried to stop us, and we, we pulled the old picket fence on him. Yeah. <laughs> Got the Parker lounger in the elevator. Uh, Shenanigans, he, man. That's what happens he, in Brewster Boland. He says, his,
1: his, "His this is a quote from him. He says, to stay in a hotel for two weeks seemed like a waste.
0: If I could learn a little bit better what it's like to be a student here. Yeah, but what about the residence hall director that they had to kick out for two weeks?
1: I mean, I imagine them, maybe they downsized the number of residence hall directors. I don't know.
0: What's, um... What's his story? He's, he's taken over for Cantor, right?
1: Yeah, I think, wh- where did he come from? Washington University, St. Louis. I think he might have been the law school dean. Let me see. Yeah, he was the dean of the law school at Washington University in St. Louis, which is a very brainy school.
0: And what are they bringing I, him in to do, to focus on academics?
1: Yeah, he, he says his goal is to get our rankings up. You know, to get like uh, the U.S. News and World Report rankings and all that, you know, higher than they were.
0: Because Cantor d- did a did a pretty good job um, in terms of her focus on development, and she yeah. re- she she really bridged the gap between, um, you know, the downtown area and and the campus, and you know, yeah, the,
1: the was it the connective corridor. Yeah,
0: yeah, and you know, having gone up there and and really seen it in action. Um, you know, it's kind of cool. It was something I would have never imagined, but, um, you know, she was able to pull it off and, you know, obviously had a narrow focus, but, but a you know, a pretty lofty task to, to get that done. And, you know, it seemed like she accomplished what she'd set out to, but nobody beats Buzz Shaw, man. Oh, Kenneth Buzz Shaw, yes. But for the fact that, um, you know, he did have a blemish on his record in trying to, um, do away with Otto and replace him with a wolf.
1: Yes, yeah, so I remember that. That was that must have been your senior year because I think that was my sophomore year when that was really raging.
0: Yeah, it, it was um, to the point where um, uh, too sorry excuses fave Mike Tirico flew in the Otto the Orange costume to yep. to the campus on uh, at ESPN and shot a bunch of of those silly. Um, College-themed ESPN promos. Yeah, it's like the genesis of the ESPN mascot commercials. It's amazing how you know how deep you know orange roots run, and he single-handedly set that you know whole trend in motion. But out of you know uh, out of genuine uh, you know a genuine attempt to to save his school's mascot.
1: Yeah, because they didn't, and Otto wasn't even officially our mascot at that point still. Right. You know, it, that move is what made Otto officially the mascot. You you know, didn't think it was fierce enough. I don't so, know. I used to, when I was living on, um, when I was living at Madison Street, you know, we'd walk past the Chancellor's House all the time, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was right at the bottom of the hill.
1: Yeah. And it had that big brick wall in fr- around it. And I used to like to get up there and make like my Ronald Reagan-like speech at the Brandenburg Gate. <laughs> <laughs> i be like Chancellor Shaw. Tear down this wall.
0: <laughs> um, behind 11, thought it was as humorous as I did. Uh, behind 1106 were those Campus Hill apartments, yeah. and if, and if you cut through there, um, you know, to head to campus.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, there were a bunch of uh, smart kids. Uh, I don't know how else to describe them. They were, you know, honor student you know young republican community service given types yeah. and i remember running into to a couple of them dressed up one day and uh, we we were kind of walking on the path together and you know hey where you headed oh, i'm going down to the bar where you headed oh we're headed to the chancellor's house for the blah 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 reception and yeah I, and I was like, Wow, the Chancellor's house.
1: Yeah, I never made it to the Chancellor's house for any of those receptions myself.
0: Someday I'm gonna get to get to the Chancellor's house. <laughs> but that was it. That's that's the closest I ever got to communing with Buzz Shaw.
1: Yeah. Uh yeah, Buzz Shaw'd see him walk through campus, but you know, a couple of times, but it wasn't like uh yeah. You know, I mean, I guess he would have been all right if you had said something to him, but no one was going out of their way to talk to him because it's, it's like the principal, you know?
0: Yeah, but I think he was super cool in his approachability.
1: I, oh, I'm, I'm sure he was, but the thing was, it was still like, oh, that's the Chancellor. Oh. Right, you know? right.
0: If he approaches you, it's one thing. You know, for you to approach him, he's just untouchable.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Retrospective he probably had no problem if I would have walked up to him and said something. You know? Yeah. But it's like, no, oh, you stayed away from the chancellor because they, you always got to keep that divide, you know, between the student and the principal. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like he's going to call you into his office like Dean Wormer
0: or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> zero, Mr. Livicari, <laughs> 0.0. <point> zero.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> what is he up to now? Does anybody know? Do you know? You keep tabs on stuff like that?
1: No, I, I guess I can do a Google search and find where he is now. Where did he come? From? He came from like Illinois or something. Illinois. Yeah,
0: he he was a Midwest guy.
1: Yeah. Um, Cantor's gone to uh, run one of those Rutgers campuses, huh? Oh, I didn't even know that. Well, I... here's Kenneth Kenneth Shaw's Wikipedia page. Wait, what's this? This is in 2010, Syracuse.com caught up with him. Let's see what they had to say. Former Syracuse University Chancellor Kenneth Buzz Shaw moving to Chicago.
0: What's he doing out there?
1: Let's see. Oh, he was still living. He was living in Scanty Atlas still up until 2010.
0: Oh, so he was just hanging
1: out? Yeah, I guess so. It's a tough move," said Buzz Shaw, who served as SU chancellor from 1991 to 2004. And can- oh, he was still teaching at Syracuse. Okay, he taught there until 2010. After moving, after leaving SU, the Shaw's moved to Skinny Alice. They're selling their house there and moving to the Chicago suburb of Western Springs. Uh, what did he? What's he gonna do? They'll also, even driving distance to children, grandchildren. Yeah, his kids are in Springfield, Illinois, and Columbia, Missouri. Uh, the mother-in-law is living in the suburbs of Chicago. Uh, it doesn't say exactly what he's going to be doing there. I think he was he's probably retiring. I'm sure that's what he was doing. You know, and just trying to get closer to family. But I um, can see what his Wikipedia page says about him.
0: Yeah, you're right. Cantor is, uh, is coming to Jersey. He's gonna be the uh, chancellor at Rutgers. Uh, Rutgers Newark. Oh, Rutgers Newark. So it's a pretty yes. gnarly campus. Gnarly, like in a good way. Nah, no. not not gnarly in a good way. <laughs> Seems like the Rutgers Newark campus, would have a lot of
1: like those, yeah, modern buildings on it.
0: Well, it does. It has it has, it has a beautiful infrastructure. Um, in In the middle of of a burned-out high-crime zone. In the middle of Newark. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And that concludes our SU Chancellor's
1: Moment. Yeah, Yeah, Buzz (laughs) Shaw is 74 years old, so I'm sure he's retired. And we can move on from Buzz Shaw.
0: Godspeed, Buzz. Godspeed.
1: Maybe if you're ever in the Chicago area, you can look him up. Head out to the suburb of Western Springs.
0: All right. Well, um, well. Here's here's what we got. We're rolling about uh, forty six minutes deep here. By the time we, uh, you know, edit in our intros and and uh, cut up some some edit, you know, probably yeah. approaching 50, fifty minutes or so. Um, I think I think we can make this a two parter. Yeah. I mean, we can do however you want to do it. Um, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the, um, talk about the football game. Yeah. Uh, the football game,
1: uh, I, I will be honest with you. The only, the major part of the football game I saw was about the last three minutes because it wasn't carried on TV and I was watching other stuff, you know, cause there was so much football going on that day. And my only other option was to watch it on my phone but fortunately, I did tune in uh, when we got the, I tuned in when we got the ball back down by, were I think we were down by a point at the time, and then Terrell Hunt threw the interception. You know, it looked like, you know, like our fate was sealed, but then they they come up big and hold, hold BC to a field goal, and then. Get the ball back, and they engineered an amazing an amazing drive in less than two minutes with that great touchdown play there. Uh, who is it? To Josh Paris, I think. Yep. tight end. Yep. Uh, which, if he doesn't get in the end zone, the game's over and we lose. Yeah, you because know, we had no more timeouts, and, and we threw the ball, like, right, you know, not far outside the hashes. That was an amazing finish.
0: Yeah, I am glad to hear that you did not watch the game live because uh, I was in the Poconos and they were carrying the game live uh, because that—that's you know Poconos are are probably an hour and a half uh, less than two hours outside of Syracuse, so it's the you know it's a Greater Central New York market. Um, But I was watching the Alabama Auburn game. I had no rooting interest for that game, but it was just so compelling that I couldn't. I, I couldn't uh, you know turn away from it, so I took solace in the fact that it was going to be a um, a watch ESPN app game, so I, I planned on watching the the replay and um, you know so I sat down and I you know watched the game while doing a couple other things today, and uh, we absolutely outplayed them for the first half of football.
1: Well, I was fo- I was trying to follow along on Twitter and all and on the computer and I saw that we we got the ball in the red zone like three or four times and only scored like
0: once early on in the game. Is this not correct? No, that that is that's it's correct. We ended up um we ended up stolen in the red zone a couple times uh in the first quarter. And missed um, a field goal. Missed a field goal. Um the defense was was outstanding. Um, we had not allowed a 100-yard a rusher in the dome at all during the season. Um, you know, they they ended up putting up you know almost 200 yards on us on the ground, but a lot of that were were was were, were fluky QB scrambles and, yeah, yeah. and broken plays. But for the first half, we just absolutely dominated them and. Really, the the score was not indicative of uh, of the quality of play. It ended up being twenty one to to fourteen uh, at halftime.
1: Yeah, I saw he gave it that touchdown at the end of the first half. When you think you were gonna go in the locker room with a twenty one to seven lead.
0: Yeah, the 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 BC quarterback Reddick, um, yeah. either looked like Flutie or we made him look like Flutie um, because he was just making things happen um you know he had 85 yards rushing you a rushing td he was throwing balls off his back foot across the field you know lame ducks with broken coverage um you know he was just he was just making things happen that shouldn't have, shouldn't have happened um and they scored late in the second ever late in the second quarter we were up 21 to 7 um and they got the ball back to start the second half. It uh, drove down the field. So, you know, 21 21 early in the third quarter was definitely not how we played that game. You know, at least yeah, how like we, played we should that have been ahead by
1: more based on how we were playing compared to
0: them. And, and even with our miscues and, and you know, um, inefficiencies on offense, we still looked really good. You know, defense has kept us in a lot of games, and, you know, this was the, the the level of play was where it should be for, you know, for the opponent we were playing. You know, you're going to lose to FSU every time. You're going to lose to Clemson. You're going to get killed. But, like, you know, against the BCs and against the pits, you know, you do okay. exactly what you're supposed to do and you've got a 50-50 shot of winning and that's really kind of what it came down to and that's what you know that's what our season looked like but um the end of the game go ahead go on sorry no no go ahead go ahead i was gonna say you have a chance
1: you got you got a good 11 minutes 11 and a half minutes watch the post game press conference from with with uh coach schaefer you know, I might be wrong about this, but I think we hired definitely the right friggin' dude.
0: All right, that's funny because, it, you know, um, we scored the touchdown, we win the game. There's there's still about, you know, 10 or 15 minutes left on on the game file. But I shut it off. I was like, I'm not going to watch the post-game. Um, yeah. You know, that's kind of silly. It's You know, the game was almost a week ago. It, you know, what's the big deal? So, yeah. um, why why would
1: i mean just because he's sitting up there you know and like he's just so damn positive about the future and like he's he's like that's great football that's eastern northeastern football you know talking about how great it is you know he's like we've been playing these guys what since 1922 and then they you know they're like what about you know and he's like guys get guys get hurt next man up next man up and he he probably said fighting a good fight about 20 times <laughs> But but he seems like the right, like, he doesn't have a dismissive attitude, which Greg Robinson sort of had towards the place, you know, like, he seems like he's a guy who, who recognizes that regardless of what the landscape is today, uh, and people that say you can't win at Syracuse because they're a northern school, we weren't in school that long ago and we were winning. I mean, you remember when we beat Clemson in the Gator Bowl, 40 to nothing? Yeah. You know? Theoretically, we can be that team again, you know, and he recognizes that there's tradition in history at Syracuse, and I think he's gonna do his his damn best to make sure that like we're a better team than this. A lot of people weren't expecting six and six this year, all the guys we lost and 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 with a new coach on top of it and and then and then we there's a couple of games the pick game, especially that we just straight up blew, you know, yeah. Like, we could
0: easily be eight and four. Throw in injuries, you know. It, uh, even in this game, you yeah. Know, we we like you said, next man up, next man up. We went pretty deep. You know, they showed a lot of heart. Yep. Um
1: I mean, like that kid, Josh Paris, like Beckett Wales with the starting tight end. He gets hurt. That guy came in. He scored two touchdowns in that game. You know, that kid never got much playing time before that. So I feel really good about the future of uh the Syracuse football program.
0: Yeah, so do I. I think um I think Hunt had a you know uh, had a bit of a coming out party in terms yeah. of of really putting together a you know a solid game both you know in the air and and you know with his feet. Uh you know, what I think he averaged something like maybe 120 passing yards uh, a game coming into this one. Um you know, he he lit it up for what did he do? 270. Yeah, 270. He was 29 for 43 yeah, with uh, we, two what, touchdowns. How much, how much did he run for? Uh it's 17 carries for 90 yards. Yeah, yeah. He was doing a lot with his feet.
1: You know, like he was, he, uh, he appeared to have taken over that game.
0: And, and it was a fun game to watch, and they're a fun team to watch. Um, right. You know, I hope they make a bowl. Um, but most importantly, thank God. They put the orange helmets back on. Oh, those uniforms they were wearing Saturday,
1: that's as good well, you know, with the exception of, like, the little piping stuff that they have. But those uniforms are the best uniforms they have right now.
0: So, we covered this in the Lost tapes. Yes, Um, the famous Lost file. Which is kind of a blessing in disguise, so so we can take a chance to, uh, take a second to kind of revisit it. And you and I have had discussions about the uniforms... Uh, before especially um uh, especially during the um Greg Robinson era where yeah. they were just horrible and it 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 seemed like every game they were coming out with a new uniform but when in reality I I, I did a little fact checking yeah. um he was here for what three years he was hired in 05 and he was gone was it just
1: 3 years
0: Yeah he was hired in 05 and he was gone after 08 um Maroney got hired in, uh, after the season in 2008. So three years, um, he had three different uniforms. And it never dawned on me the, the psychological impact that a uniform has on a fan base and, and an athletic team. O- Oregon aside... Yeah. They can pull that off. And we talked a little bit about Maryland. How They're the other extreme where it's kind of a joke.
1: Oh, man. He was actually, we had four seasons with him.
0: Okay. That's four seasons too many. Too, too many.
1: But, but yeah, you know how you're saying that. I discovered that as a young kid. Teams that are lousy change their uniforms all the time. Because I think part of it's like you're always like, you know, change uniform, oh, we're bringing a new identity. We're not going to
0: be losers anymore. You know, that I always got a kick out of that. And, you know, because I
1: remember when I was little, I I used to go to Tulane games and Tulane used to always play Vanderbilt and Tulane and Vanderbilt were constantly changing their uniforms (laughs) and they were both horrible football programs. Uh, uh,
0: It's so true. It's so true. And since you've told me that, and I think, I think you and I started that conversation back, uh, you know, in 2005, 2006, when it became apparent that we were searching for a new tradition uh, yes. I paid attention to that, and um, you know, went back and did a little research. Um, back in the fifties, during you know, during the the first uh, during the golden age of, yeah. of Syracuse football, um, we we wore the traditional white jerseys, um, blue jerseys, orange helmets. Yeah. Um, in the beginning, they were plain orange helmets, and they transitioned. To, uh, orange helmets with numbers on the side. And and then the it number came- was
1: like a little set back, wasn't it on mm-hmm. that old helmet?
0: Yeah, like it wasn't like Alabama's right in the middle. It was kind of like set
1: back further towards the back of the head. Yeah, it wasn't all
0: the way, all the way.
1: Yeah,
0: to to the you know, t- t- you know, to the base of the of the helmet, but it was like closer to the ear hole.
1: Yeah,
0: um, yeah. and a couple times. You know, I think there was a, during this uh, 1975 season, which would have been you know the school's hundredth year anniversary. We wore yeah. you know a commemorative century helmet. Um, but for the most part, from from those you know early 50s when helmets you know became part of the uniform, all the way to and through uh, the Coach Mack era to 2004, we wore. Uh, a classic white and/or blue jersey with a with a plain orange, you know, kind of Cleveland Brown style helmet. Yes, yeah, and so we were a solid program during that whole era. Just classic. Our play was classic. Yep. You know, our, our uniforms were classic, and every year, you know, we had a, a nucleus that you could identify with. You know, yep. whether you are talking about Joe Morris or or Tim Green. Um, you know, or McNabb. Um, you know, it was it was consistent and Todd was constant. Um. <laughs> and it wasn't until the Robinson era when, in two thousand five, we went back to the traditional uh, or the historic um, plain orange helmets with the numbers on the side. And while it was a little gimmicky at, at that point, I could get behind that. Yeah, you're you kind of returning to your roots. Um, you know, it smells a little bit of Alabama, but, you know, okay, we're we're clearly not trying to mimic Alabama. We've yeah, got a tie to this style. Let's, you know, let's utilize it, um, which was fine. But then 2005, uh, and then 2006, we went to all orange uniforms. Yeah.
1: 2007,
0: we went to um, the orange helmet with the S. On the side
1: well that, that that was the s without the outline on it. it was just a blue s right
0: exactly, and yeah. the, the the blue stripe down the middle uh, of the helmet, then we went to s with the white piping, yep oh, with classic blue jerseys um, then we went to the s with the white piping and white jerseys and blue pants. And it was just, every year was was just a variation of yes. some extension away from the tradition.
1: Like, I'm trying to think of like all the, te- like Rutgers, they always change their uniforms. Kentucky, they change their uniforms a lot. Those are all, ter- those are terrible football teams.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: You know, it's it's just, it, that's what was killing me. It's like we're changing our uniforms
0: too much. That means we really suck. And, and it, it was true. Um, so it's nice to see us to, to get back to some you know, some semblance of, of normalcy, at least as far as college athletics can go. Yeah. Um, and I think it coincides like, with what you said in terms of getting the right coach, in terms of getting you know, the right personnel in the program, and, and putting us on the right direction, or at least in the right direction in terms of you know, respectability. I do wish they would work an orange jersey into the uniform, but
1: they can't wear it with the orange pants. That look that they wore like was in two thousand seven. I think they wore it when they played Illinois. They they looked like a bunch of pumpkins. It was just too much orange. Yeah. yeah, you need to have some contrast. They had orange pants, orange jerseys, orange helmets on. You know, wear like a pair of navy pants or something.
0: You know, it's a great it, it's a great primary color for you know your color scheme, but. It, it, you can get a little overboard with it.
1: Yeah, it works a hell of a lot better on a basketball uniform
0: than it does in a,
1: than on a football uniform will be an orange
0: head to toe. Now, um, hopefully, we'll have one more shot at wearing those uniforms um, with yep. a postseason bowl bid. And we were kind of uh, waxing poetic about, you know, the days gone by or, or – you know, um, bowl seasons of, of yesteryear in terms of when, you know, an eight and four team might not get a bowl bid. And, you know, that's when the, the, the quality of, of play in college football was, was at its highest in terms of our fanhood. And, you know, we were maligning the fact that, uh, at a what a five and seven UCLA team wavers their way into a bowl game because yeah, there weren't I don't enough know
1: it's UCLA in retrospect, but I know a five and seven team has made the uh, it's definitely made a bowl game,
0: which is so ridiculous. But um, I was doing um, I, I was perusing the old intraweb, um, looking for some some bowl information, um, and Orange Fizz breaks down the the. The current bowl, uh, climate, um, or... Are they discussing the six possible games that they might go to? They do discuss the six possible games. They also make note of who our competition is for those games, and that's really yeah. what the gist of the conversation is about. And uh, as of as of printing, which was uh, yesterday, the fourth, there were 78 teams that are bowl eligible for 70 slots. Now,
1: yep. And we're depending on we need Rutgers to lose this weekend.
0: I know that much. Uh Rutgers and
1: I think mean, um, SMU might need S- to lose.
0: SMU is, is the other one.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and if then,
0: that if that happens, we'll have uh the possibility or the likelihood of possibly heading to six. Uh one of six
1: yeah, you know, significantly lower. Has an article about that today as well. Who's that? The Syracuse.com, the Syracuse newspapers website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, of course, start out with your favorite ball, the Pinstripe Bowl,
0: which, of course, I'm pulling for. But what did they say about that?
1: Well, what they're saying, most people were thinking Notre Dame was headed towards it, but um, apparently Brian Kelly one he has two. There's two issues with it. Uh he made some comments about how the uh, seniors will have some say in where they play bowl game, which means they probably don't want to be playing in snow. Right. You know, and another thing is they they might be a little leery about playing in that bowl game because, um, because next year they're going to have the ACC ties to that bowl game. This year they can kind of go wherever they want. So why play in it now? If you can have access to it in the future. You know, okay. and obviously, the Pen Strike Bowl would prefer Notre Dame, but if Notre Dame ends up not wanting to go, it's possible that we could fall in there because we are a dependable draw for them.
0: It, yeah, I mean, besides Notre Dame, probably the only other attractive draw that, you know, uh, that a New York metropolitan area cares about seeing. Yep. Yeah.
1: I mean, I imagine you could probably get some decent fans in there with Penn State or something, but that's not happening. Um, I did read yesterday, there's a lot of politicking going on, and they weren't talking about the Heart of Dallas Bull being one of the bulls that we might head to, but apparently BC has been doing some big politicking to get there because they don't. BC doesn't want to end up in, in Shreveport, which is another one of the bulls we might be headed to. And since uh, Boston is a bigger television market, they might have more sway there.
0: What's in Treveport? The Compass Bowl?
1: Uh, It used to be the Independence Bowl. Now it's the Advocare V one hundred Bowl. I actually believe Syracuse might have played in one of the first ever Independence Bowls back, like in nineteen seventy eight or something like that. You know, back to an Art Monk times, I think.
0: Yeah, uh, Orange Fizz has us also penciled in for the BBVA Compass Bowl. Yeah, or, that's
1: Pittsburgh's bowl game, though. I thought Pittsburgh plays in that one every year. It seems like. Uh well, the, or the. What else did they have?
0: Fortuitously enough, my friend, the Beefo Brady's Bowl.
1: See, they got. See, I was thinking I was going to see it down here. They have six different bowls listed that they think they have: the Pinstripe, the Advocare. The Little Caesars Pizza Bowl in beautiful Detroit. Yes, yes. The Heart of Dallas Bowl. The Military Bowl in Washington, D.C. That probably is actually a good draw for Syracuse people. And the Music City Bowl in Nashville. But the problem with Music City Bowl is if it comes down to us and Georgia Tech, they're definitely taking Georgia Tech, I'm sure. Um, let's see what the analysis for the other ones... Military Bowl. Uh, I don't know. That's that's just a possibility. They don't they don't get as crazy about it, I guess, as Orange Fizz.
0: Yeah, and and in looking at how how they break down in the competition for those, you know, those remaining bowl uh, spots, like, there's some there's some legitimate teams in here in terms of. In terms of draw, um, you know, Pitt, Oregon State, Mississippi State, you know, in, in the right yeah. in the right bowls, they make a lot more sense than us because, you know, we're going to draw in New York. Yep. You know, where else are we going to draw?
1: I was saying if they end up in a military bowl because I know there's a decent amount of lum down and, uh, you know, more than. Not as many as in New York, but that's probably one of the second or one of the top five biggest alum areas is probably down there in the uh, the DC area. You think?
0: Yeah, I mean maybe maybe before Brady, um, yeah, but that's down in St. Petersburg, right? Yep,
1: yep. I'm looking. For, I'm on the orange fizz right now. I'm checking to see that
0: article. So we, we you know, we have a pretty good, pretty good um, fan base uh, in you know. In the Florida um, area between, you know, between parents and and vacationing alumni around that time. That could be somewhere uh, that makes sense and and is actually a pretty attractive, um, you know, locale if you're not going to be in, you know, a, a draw in Texas or a draw in Arizona or somewhere along, you know those lines where it's desirable to get to in the winter months.
1: Yeah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully we get to some bowl game, you know, at least to play one more time,
0: which is huge because it gives you, um, I think you're slated for an extra fourteen
1: practices. You basically, get another yeah. You basically get another fall camp, fall camps worth of practices in.
0: It's a huge recruiting tool. It's a great yeah. reward for not only the you know the coaching staff and, and and the players, but the fan base as well. And you know I've been yeah. lis- listening to a little chatter up there about how um, you know the football fans have have not really held up their end of the bargain. Yeah um, you know I mean,
1: they see it, it wasn't that big of a crowd for BC but when I was watching, you know they were really getting loud. It's you know the people that were there were making noise. You know
0: it was an enthusiastic thirty thousand or whatever were there. You know it's what I imagine that Syracuse Miami game was like in nineteen ninety two. Had I not sold my ticket for forty dollars, yeah. I imagine I would have had the same amount of exhilaration watching. Uh, you know the the for come scat- from behind scat- efforts. We
1: scat- short. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh. Alright, so um at this point, let's uh let's make a virtual break and and um thanks everybody for hanging in with us on, on part one of yeah. two sorry excuses week five. Yeah, sorry um, excuses week five, part one in the books. We will uh with apologies to Girk's brother. We'll see you guys next week for part two. Adios, peeps.